Before we get into today's episode, I want to tell my listeners that the final episode of Man in the Arena, Tom Brady, is here exclusively on ESPN+, Plus, which means all episodes are now streaming 22 seasons and 10 Super Bowl appearances. Tom Brady like you've never heard him before, featuring Tom Brady's three sisters, Giselle Bundchen, Tom Brady Sr., Rob Gronkowski, Michael Strahan, and more. All episodes now streaming on ESPN+, Plus, presented by Under Armour. And with that, we welcome you back to another Adam Schefter podcast in the week of the 2022 NFL Draft. And to preview it, we're going to be joined today by ESPN draft analysts Matt Miller and Jordan Reed as they discuss where the quarterbacks may go in this draft, who's going to go higher in this draft than people think, who's going to go lower, and what role they will have as the draft gets ready to take place Thursday, Friday, and Saturday in Las Vegas. And one of the storylines that will hang over this draft is the future of 49ers wide receiver Debo Samuel. Now we'll see what happens as the week unfolds, but going in, my sense would be that it would take an awful lot for the 49ers to even consider unloading Debo Samuel, a player they do not want to trade, that they do not want to move. Yes, he would like to be traded, as he told Jeff Darlington last week, but that doesn't mean that the 49ers are going to trade him. And he's been most often linked to the New York Jets. But think about this. When the Jets had a deal in place with the Kansas City Chiefs for Tyree Kill, in that particular trade, the Jets had agreed to send picks number 35 and 38 in the second round and pick 69 in the third round to Kansas City for Tyree Kill and pick number 103. So essentially, it was a trade that involved Tyree Kill and four picks with three of them going to Kansas City and one of them coming back to the Jets. I think that if the 49ers were offered the exact same package that the Jets offered for Tyree Kill, they wouldn't even think twice about it. 35, 38, and 69 would not get it done for Debo Samuel. And that gives you an idea of how tough it'll be to get a trade done for Debo Samuel. He is maybe the most important player, most valuable player on that entire team. He is critical to that offense and its success. So unless they get completely knocked off their shoes by an offer, it's hard to imagine that the 49ers are going to move him. And so even though his name is out there and will continue to be out there going into the draft this week, still not convinced that San Francisco will make a move with with Debo Samuel. And my guess would be that the draft will come and go without a Debo Samuel trade. But let's see what the events this week hold. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. I think there are other wide receiver storylines to follow. DK Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, AJ Brown, other wide receivers. 
right? If you can't get Debo Samuel, does another team go and make a run at one of those other wide receivers? And again, going in, I don't think that any of them will be dealt. But sometimes strange things happen during the draft. And all we have to do is look back 28 years ago when the Colts pulled off a trade and moved up in the draft to go pick Nebraska linebacker Trev Alberts and draft him over Fresno State quarterback Trent Dilfer. And that led to one of the greatest sound bites in NFL draft history that occurred exactly 28 years ago Sunday. And it was one of those moments where you remember where you were. I was sitting in the Denver Broncos draft room where all the media had gathered to cover the draft. They had a giant screen up at the center front of the auditorium. I watched Chris Mortensen interview Bill Tobin from the Indianapolis Colts on TV. I watched him ask about the pick that the Colts had made and Mel Kuyper's criticism. And I watched Bill Tobin launch into what to me still is the most memorable soundbite in NFL draft history. Who in the hell is Mel Kuyper in a way? I mean, here's a guy that criticizes everybody, whoever they take. He's got the answers to uh, who you should take and who you shouldn't take. In my knowledge of him, he's never ever put on a jock strap. He's never been a coach. He's never been a scout. He's never been an administrator. And all of a sudden, he's an expert. He's in our papers two days ago telling us who we have to take. We don't have to take anybody that Mel Kuyper says we have to take. Mel Kuyper has no more credentials to do what he's doing than my neighbor, and my neighbor's a postman, and he doesn't even have season tickets to the NFL. And I remember watching that and hearing that and thinking, oh, my God. And I think you still listen to it these days and have the same reaction because it was incredible on TV then, and it's incredible to hear now. And it drives at what is so great about this draft. Number one, there are so many divergent opinions about so many different players. Fans care so much about who their teams take because they know how contingent their team's futures are to the success that they do and don't have this upcoming weekend. And so it's such an important event for so many people. There's so much riding on this. And yes, Thursday night gets the headlines and Friday night will make more, but really Saturday is the day where football men make great football decisions that help build football teams for an awful long time. The players they pick in rounds four, five, six, seven, and then sign as undrafted free agents. There's some buried treasure there for some team to uncover on Saturday, and it will uncover that'll help lead to a Super Bowl title down the line. It's why everybody cares so much about this upcoming week. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. 
Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Adam. All right, to help break down the week, we turn to ESPN draft analysts, Matt Miller and Jordan Reed. All right, so here we have two of the busiest men in our company, ESPN, for this week. Matt Miller, Jordan Reed, draft experts. Man, here we are in a week in which very few people don't know what we are about to see. So let me start with Matt and say, Matt, what are your expectations going into this draft? Oh, my gosh. I think right now just to be surprised, Adam. That's the thing. Like I've been covering – this is my 12th draft professionally – it's like my 30th draft actually watching it and, and following it. Right. So, but it's the first time that I can remember where we really didn't know. A lot of people will say 2018, but like we knew the Browns were going to take a quarterback and within like 24 hours before you were probably tweeting that they were taking Baker. It's probably how I found out. But I do think that this year there's real intrigue. Like we think the Jaguars will take a defensive end, but as we're sitting here, it, it feels like, no one really knows, or at least if anybody does know, they're not saying yet. So I'm just excited to be surprised. I'm not convinced the Jaguars are going to go defensive, and they might. How yeah. about this? I'm I'm not convinced that the man that people have talked about as the number one overall pick, Aiden Hutchinson, is going to be the number one overall pick. In fact, I yeah. I would be a little surprised right now if he went number one. I'm not telling you he's not in the conversation. He's good enough to go number one. I hope he goes number one. But I can't think of a player who fits Detroit any better than Aiden Hutchinson, and I think Jacksonville is going to go either Trayvon Walker or one of the offensive linemen, Iki Iquanu. I think that's more likely at number one than all this conversation about who's going to go number one, whether it's Aiden Hutchinson or not. Jordan, what are your expectations for this week ahead? Yeah, expect the unexpected. That's something that I've been telling myself. It's something I've heard from scouts around the league, too. And nobody really knows what's going to happen. Honestly, this draft class is very reminiscent of the one we saw in 2013. The Eric Fisher draft and Luke Jokel. Nobody really knew who was going to be the number one overall pick. And like Matt mentioned, that's what makes this draft so mysterious in that we don't know as far as who's going to be the number one overall pick, but also the first quarterback taken. And quarterbacks always drive the, the, the quarterbacks always drive the class. Excuse me. But Whenever you're talking about not having a quarterback at the top, it makes things very, very mysterious. And over the past three seasons, we knew who the top quarterback was going to be, whether it was Kyler Murray in 2019, Joe Burrow in 2020, and obviously last year with Trevor Lawrence. That's what makes this draft class so mysterious and interesting as a whole. Jordan, you bring up the quarterbacks. Who's the first quarterback who's going to go off the board, and where do you think that could happen? So I've been saying Malik Willis, uh, whether it's at two to Detroit, um, that's just an idea that they should consider, or with the Panthers at number six overall. And I think the Panthers have the most interesting pick overall of any in the top ten just because their next pick isn't until number 137 overall just because of the draft capital that they used to acquire Sam Darnold. Scott Fitter is known to – he likes to will and deal. He made four – trades last year alone in his first draft overall as the Panthers um, general manager. But I wouldn't be surprised if they try to trade back, but if they go offensive tackle there, whether it's Evan Neal, Charles Cross, or Kim McQuano, whoever's left from those big three. So keep an eye on the Panthers at six to take a quarterback. If they don't, they may look to trade back or take one of those offensive tackles. Matt, what do we got a quarterback from you? Yeah, I spent Adam, I want you to do a mock draft one of these years just so we could see, see what you would do. So you I, know, I, I never do that because I would never want to put myself in a position to be embarrassed. Mock drafts yeah, are setups terrible. to make yourself look silly. Because yeah, as exactly. soon as one pick 
goes awry, all the others fall by the wayside. And then everybody's like, look at this moron. He got three draft picks right out of 32, <laughs> which how do you know? It's this really- year, that's pretty good. So I, I hear what Jordan's saying. And I think that's where the Intel's been pushing us. And I, I already had to file my mock draft, which is going to be wrong because there's things change the minute you hit send, as Jordan knows. So I do think that we see a, there's a possibility that the first quarterback doesn't come off the board till the till Pittsburgh at 20. And I don't know if you're in the same things, Adam, but it sounds like Pittsburgh really likes Kenny Pickett. I know they've been attached to Malik Willis. They've traveled all over the country following him to pro day workouts. They, they've had the, you know him in for visits, but I will say like the, the latest thing I'm hearing is Pittsburgh likes Kenny Pickett and he could be the first quarterback at 20 that maybe starts a run, you know, as teams try to get their guy. Let's go back to what we heard at the end of the season. I remember Mike Tomlin himself saying that he wants a quarterback who is 2022, not 2002. Now, you know, Kenny Pickett better than I have. You studied these guys much more than I have, but to me, off the top of my head, Malik Willis would be a guy that Mike Tomlin would want more than Kenny Pickett. I know it's a great story. Kenny Pickett, Pittsburgh, stays at home, stays in the same building, whole thing. I got it. And Kenny Pickett may go on to have a tremendous career. I think if Mike Tomlin had his choice, just to guess, Malik Willis would be the guy over Kenny Pickett. I like it better. I, and I know Jordan does too. Like I, Malik Willis is my top quarterback. I like that fit better. I think that's where like our job gets weird sometimes because you talk about what you're hearing versus what you would do. If I'm Pittsburgh and you have Mitch Trubisky, you have Mason Rudolph, you have the ideal situation for Malik to learn for a year. And yes, he has by far the best traits in this class. I think in terms of arm strength, what he does as a runner, I think he'll be one of the top five running quarterbacks in the NFL the minute he's drafted. So if, if, you know, Kevin Colbert's on the way out, if he asked me to sit in that draft room Thursday night and it's which quarterback are we taking? I would be on the table, you know, jumping up and down from Malik Willis over Kenny Pickett. Someone asked me on Monday morning, and we're taping this midday Monday, a few days before the draft, is there any pick that you feel particularly confident in making right now in the top 10? And in a draft as mysterious as this, I don't know that anybody could feel confident at all picking anybody anywhere. But the one pick that I think I would feel, I think I would feel, reasonably comfortable making right now if I were doing a mock draft and setting myself <laughs> up to look like an idiot. I think I'd have Aiden Hutchinson going to to the Detroit Lions because it's a match waiting to happen. But just when I say Aiden Hutchinson to Detroit at two, I go back to my time at the owners meetings in Florida at the end of March. And I remember one GM with the top 10 picks saying to me, he wouldn't be shocked if the Detroit Lions went Malik Willis at two. I remember another GM saying the yep. very same thing. And you, you've heard nothing about the Lions and Malik Willis. And everybody seems to think that that would be a reach to take Malik Willis. But in my mind, I say, if there are people out there that think his skill set is such, that's the most important position. Why would they not do that if they like the guy? Now, I don't know how they feel about Malik Willis. And I still think Aiden Hutchinson is the pick that makes the most sense. But Jordan... Right. If you're the Lions and you love Malik Willis, what are you waiting on? Right. And they're going through a rebuild right now, entering year two of the Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes regime. They have Malik Willis. They coached him at the Senior Bowl. Mark Mm Brunel is the quarterback coach there. So he would be under some great tutelage as far as learning under a successful NFL quarterback, former NFL quarterback, I should say. 
it makes a lot of sense to me. Jared Goff is cost control for two more years. So you have the bridge quarterback in place until 2024. And I just think it's a great situation for Malik Willis to enter into. Everybody talks about the raw aspect of his game. He needs to sit kind of on that Trey Lance, Patrick Mahomes type of plan. Not saying he's going to end up being Mahomes, but as far as him not being ready from year one, but if he's able to sit, he's able to learn behind an, an experienced or established veteran already, like Jared Goff, I just think it's a great situation for him to be in, and it makes a lot of sense. How raw is he? Because people talked last year about Trey Lance being raw, and he was raw, but they're still happy with him. How, is Malik Willis more raw than Trey Lance was when he was coming out? Yeah, I think so, as far as just from a progression standpoint. Now, I think he's mm -hmm. much more of a mobile runner than Trey Lance. Trey, Trey Lance is obviously – he has a bigger frame, but as far as being able to break tackles and being more dangerous as a runner, I think he's more dangerous in that aspect than Trey. The arm strength is about the same. I think they both have very, very powerful arms. But as far as layering the ball at all three levels of the field, Malik needs to get better over the middle of the field. He only had a 51% completion percentage over the middle of the field as opposed to over 70 in either direction outside the numbers in between the hash marks too. So the middle of the field is something that he needs to clean up and get better at. I think Trey, like coming out of North Dakota State, they ran the ball so much and they had such a good offensive line. He didn't have to be the guy all the time because he had a really good framework around him. I mean, they're the Alabama of their level. And I think there were times where Malik, you're playing at Liberty, your, your best receivers at five, eight freshmen, like you at times had to be the hero. And I think we saw that lead to interceptions, especially the second half of the season. Like he was just trying to do too much at times, but there's still those flashes where he takes off, whether it's to, you know, get out of the pocket or as a designed runner where like you hold your breath because he's so elusive. He's so fast. His field vision's amazing, but I, I'm with Jordan. I do think Trey is, was farther along as a, a pure passer than Malik is right now. Matt, how many quarterbacks do you think wind up going in the first round ultimately? Man, I have three right now. That I That's the question I think we're all getting asked right now. Is where do the quarterbacks go? How many are going to go? I feel I feel really good about Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett. But then is it Desmond Ritter? Is it going to be Matt Corral, who's, whose name's getting some heat right now at Ole Miss? So I, I think who that third quarterback is, is is kind of the most interesting one right now. Jordan, where and how many quarterbacks in the first round? That's a great question. I think Willis Pickett and then also Ritter. I think those three end up going. But keep an eye on Sam Howell. I keep saying it. The media isn't as high on Sam Howell as the league. Just mm -hmm. talking to scouts at this pro day, some said this was the best pro day that they saw while they went while they were on the circuit. Excuse me. So keep an eye on Sam Howell. It wouldn't surprise me. That last selection in the first round, if Detroit does end up taking the quarterback at the top, somebody tries to trade back into that 32 spot like we saw with Teddy Bridgewater and Lamar Jackson a couple of years ago. I like to listen to people who know what they're talking about. I have a proven track record, and I remember speaking to one man in the personnel department in front office, told me the two quarterbacks to watch in this year's draft class, Malik Willis and Sam Howell. That's not surprising. There's a lot of people that like Sam Howell. I've been yeah. saying it repeatedly. What do they like about him, Matt? Well, I think the experience, number one, in a class where, you know, we, we have some experienced guys. I think for him, he's been battle tested in the ACC. Uh, you go back to 2020 when he had, you know, some NFL talent around him. You know, he's accurate over the middle. He does give you some running ability out of that RPO offense. But I think he throws one of the best deep balls in this class. And his deep ball accuracy is what's been so impressive. And, like, we saw that at the Senior Bowl where the weather in Mobile is never great. It's windy. It's rainy. Some of the other quarterbacks struggled. Sam Howell didn't. And I think, like Jordan mentioned, you see guys feathering the ball to every layer. He does that. He's not the biggest guy, but there is some Baker Mayfield to the body type, to the mm -hmm. way he throws, the velocity for a smaller guy who's, you know, 6'1, 220, kind of stout. I think the way the ball comes out. Now, he's not as 
elusive as Baker was, maybe not as twitchy as Baker was the runner, but as a passer, I can definitely see where that comparison is there. I want each of you guys, starting with Matt, to give me a guy on Thursday night who is going to wind up going a little bit higher than I think people think right now. Oh man, that's a great question. Um, I'll go with I'll go with Trent McDuffie, the corner from Washington. That's who I, I was going to pick. No, there we go. <laughs> then I know I'm right. Good, 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 good. I think there's too many teams that need a corner. It's like Sauce Gardner is going to go very early. Derek Stanley Jr. could go early as well. But I mean, like if you're the Eagles and you're sitting there, at, you know, in the middle of the round, you you badly need a corner. And so I wouldn't be surprised if McDuffie goes goes pretty early, like 14 to 18. I, I think it's his range right now. Agree. Totally. All right, Jordan, who's a guy who's going to go higher Thursday night than people think? Am I able to give two or would I be cheating? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> no rules so, here. My first one is Dax Hill from Michigan. You're all my mater. I'm sure you're happy to hear that. But Daxon Hill, a lot of people really like him as far as they felt as if he was the best athlete on the field. So they just stuck and played him at nickel. But they feel as if there's so much more to his toolbox that he has. He can play outside corner. He can play some safety, too. So I think he could end up going top 25. I think the Chiefs would openly <laughs> they would be happy to have him at 29 or 30 if he slips there. And then the other name that I think is going to go a little bit higher, and he's projected to be an early second-round guy right now, is, Ar is Arnold Ibiketti from Penn State. I, I think he could end up going somewhere in the top 25, especially with this edge rush class. A lot of guys expected to go early who could see as many as six or seven guys go in the first round. It wouldn't surprise me, even if he goes higher than George Karloffers. That wouldn't surprise me at all. And is there a guy, and we'll start with Jordan here, that may not go quite as high as people are talking about right now in this draft? That's a great question. Um, I would say Charles Cross, even though he's getting a lot of buzz right now. Wow. There's a lot of mixed opinions about Charles Cross right now. And I, I personally like Charles Cross a lot, but you have to understand that he's not going to be everybody's flavor just because last year in Mike Leach's offense, they had an 81-19% split as far as <laughs> a pass-to-run ratio. So yeah. he's a, I think he's the most polished pass protector in this class, I think he's even better in pass pro than Evan Neal and then also Iki Aquanu. But the the run game is something that he needs to clean up. And it's not a matter of him not being good in it. It's just he's just inexperienced. And he kind of has a little bit of a thin frame, too. So he needs to fill that out. He's done that over his past three seasons when he was at Mississippi State. So it wouldn't surprise me if Charles Cross goes a little bit later. Keep an eye on New Orleans as a Terran Armstead replacement. Hmm. Matt? Yeah, no, that'd be a great fit for him, Jordan. Uh, I'll go to Kobe Dean. And I, I think during the college football season, we were all watching that Georgia defense and you're you're just gushing about the leader of this defense, the captain in the middle of the Kobe Dean. But, you know, he's undersized. He actually didn't do any uh, agilities or shuttles or runs through the pre-draft process because of some injuries. And then you hear that he's getting flagged for his medical history. So I think all those things mm. could kind of combine to push him down. You know, Miles Jack a couple of years ago, Everybody was like, this would be a top five pick. And it right. was just as as we got more medical information, he falls to the early second round. So as great of a player as Nicobe Dean is, and if you watch him play, you're like, oh, my God, yeah, this is a, a starter for 10 years. I think the medicals could push him down. You know, Nicobe Dean was a guy that I watched against Michigan in the bowl game. And I put on the TV and I saw this guy. And I loved the way he played the game. I was yep. like, wow, this guy is a baller. And We'll see how much the medicals ding him on Thursday night, maybe even into Friday, and whether or not he winds up going in the first round. All right, give me a, a diamond in the rough. Everybody loves their sleepers around the draft, Matt, right? Give yeah. me a diamond in the rough that, again, I think that you think 
will make a big impact at the next level who may not be garnering as much attention these days? Yeah, you know, my guy's been Christian Watson, the wide receiver from North Dakota State. Maybe that's cheating because I think there is a chance he's a late first-round pick. I mean, he'll certainly be a top 40 pick. But I, I do think the the casual fan is not as aware of him. But, you know, Jordan, we saw him at the Senior Bowl. He stood out, you know, six foot four. He moves super well, goes to the combine, runs a 4-3-6. But you look at his stats, and as we were talking about with Trey Lance, they just don't throw the ball very much at North Dakota State. They also had a COVID-shortened season in 2021. That affected his numbers. But I look at Christian Watson and he was their offense in the passing game. He even started a game at running back despite being 6'4. He's run two kicks back for touchdowns in his career. So I see him as just the type of offensive weapon the NFL is going to, even though he's a little bit bigger than you know everybody wants a Debo Samuel right now. He's certainly taller than that, not as not as compactly built, but it's a similar type of playmaker. For me, it would be Joshua Williams of Fayetteville State, who's probably going to end up going in the third or fourth round range. He actually participated in the Senior Bowl, one of the biggest standout players there. And I just like his skill set a lot. I think he can play outside corner at six foot two, 197 pounds. He actually participated in NC State's Pro Day. And Ikki Aquanu only benched. He only did the bench press when he was there. And he put his sweatpants on after that. So he mixed in with those recruit, excuse me, those prospects there. And he stole the show. I mean, he jumped 40 plus inches in the vertical. He ended up running in the low four fours. And I really like his skill set on the next level. Keep an eye on Joshua Williams of Fayetteville State. Now, you both have referenced the senior bowl and being there together. And I'm just curious. We know the relationship that Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay have, uh, guys like me and Mort have. Do you guys socialize when you're at work functions like the senior bowl? Will you be in the same location this week at the draft in Vegas? Will you both be in Bristol? I'm just curious for both of you to discuss the relationship between the two of you being that you're brought in, I guess you're probably similar ages. I'm guessing you have similar job descriptions and yeah. sometimes that could cause people to kind of go after each other and not get along. But I'm just curious to know the history between the two of you guys, if you knew each other before you took these jobs or you've gotten to know each other now. Yeah, we've known each other a while. I'll, I'll, I'll jump in. I'm the old man. I'm, I think I'm quite a bit older than Jordan. I'm, I'm afraid to tell my age on this podcast. How old are you, um, Matt? I'm 38. Oh, yeah. So, Very old. You know, I, yep. I did it. I did a 10-year run of Bleacher Report. And and during that time, got to know people like Jordan, who I admired so much. And I think that's how our relationship started was through Twitter, just reaching out saying, like, man, I really respect your work. You're you're killing it. Like, keep doing it. If I can ever help, let me know. And and look at him now. I mean, he he is killing it. He's doing a great job. So I mean, when we get the chance to see each other, I, you know, I, I just started in middle February full time at ESPN. So when we saw each other at the senior bowl, I think we we were both trying not to like leak the news that like, Hey, I'm going to be coming over here soon. But yeah, we definitely had an opportunity to, to catch up and, you know, have a, have a couple of beers in mobile and, and hopefully the first of many events that we get to do that. I don't feel like, you know, the draft media is different. There, there's a lot of people that, that do want to come at you and do want to go at you, especially on Twitter. So when you respect someone's work as much as I do Jordan's, it's like you, you almost feel camaraderie there because you, you're going through some of the same things together. Yeah, I'm going to make Matt feel old on this one, but I'm 30 years <laughs> old and Matt was the guy that one of the guys that actually got me into the draft. I think it was the 2011 draft. That was my first time actually being like seriously into it. That was the Cam Newton draft, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to go over some of the takes that Matt had about Cam Newton, but that's, <laughs> that's what happened. You have your hits and your misses a lot of times. I've had plenty of misses during my time too, but Matt is somebody that's a huge inspiration to me, one of my best friends in the industry probably going back 10 years now. We've been friends yeah. for a very, very long time. So just a blessing to be working beside them now. And I'm really excited about our future along with Todd and Mel here as well.
So where will both of you be this week during the draft? Yeah, Jordan, go for it. You, your travel schedule is a lot crazier than mine. Yeah, so <laughs> I'll, I'll be in Seaport in New York for the first day of the draft, and then I'll be flying to Vegas Friday morning to be with Mike Tenenbaum and then also Bart Scott on ESPN Radio for Friday and Saturday. Yeah, and I'll be in Vegas uh, Wednesday through Saturday night. Uh, I'll be doing mostly Sports Center specials, NFL Live. You know, we, we kind of set the table up for the old guys now. You know, they don't want to be on TV and, and radio all day. So Jordan and I get to get to come in and, and be the energetic guys in the morning while while Mel and Todd get to rest those vocal cords. Well, that's important. That's needed, right? Because yeah, back in the day, not so long ago, literally, their stuff would go on all day long, and you just can't have. Mel and Todd doing stuff from morning, noon tonight. And there's enough interest in this. And there yeah. are enough shows on all the ESPN platforms that there is more help needed. And it's perfect that two guys with your histories and your backgrounds and your work ethics can come in and help fill that role and help basically give the fans what they want, give Mel and Todd the blows that they need and help enhance our draft coverage all during the week. It's, it works out very well. No, it does. Last year I was able to go to Cleveland and, and cover the draft for ESPN for the first time. And it was like, that's what you realize is your job. And Adam, we worked together, I think every day last year, freezing our tails off in Cleveland. That was was so it like, cold. you know, your job, there's enough interest, right? And, and like you said, there's, there are so many shows. And I think that's been the difference for me coming to ESPN from a place like Bleacher Report was like TV is such a huge part of your job now, but you still have to write. You still have to do podcasts and radio. You still got to tweet every now and then. Right. So it's, there's no shortage of things to do. And there's, you know, there's no shortage of shows to jump on at this point too. You know, I felt bad about that, Matt, because literally it was the first draft that you attended for ESPN last year. I walk onto the set. I'm in my own little universe. We're dealing with the Aaron Rodgers story, <laughs> right? trying to, sew up and confirm the final details to that story before we reported on NFL live Thursday afternoon, about three ten or so Eastern. Right. And, and you come over, you're like, Hey, and I'm like, Hey Matt, welcome to, t Hey, let me, let me get back to you. Like right. working right? both phones. Right. <laughs> you remember that? I do. Oh, very well. And I'm just sitting there on my little stool. Like, I don't know what's happening, but something is about to blow up. So I got to watch it. Like as everyone else did watching you be on TV and say, you know, Aaron Rodgers is unhappy in Green Bay. And it was wild. What do you remember about that day? I remember being very cold, number one. That's <laughs> but also that, like, you know, when there's that that energy, like, and you know about anyone, when you, when you feel like you have a nugget or you have a story that's going to break, especially one of that magnitude, even though it wasn't my story, like, I felt your energy. And it's just like, there's this, I don't know how else to describe it. It's almost you're anxious, you know, like, it, what's going to happen? Like, what's the fallout going to be? You know, is night one of the draft going to get completely, you know, taken over by arguably the best quarterback in the league getting traded? It's like, that was it for me. It's just like, you automatically go through the domino effect of what, what is going to happen from here. But, you know, just being in Cleveland on the day of the draft, walking onto the set at ESPN is, I've had some cool career moments. That is one day that like, I'll never forget of. It's the day of the draft and I'm on set in Cleveland, Ohio, a place I'd never been before. And, and, you know, surrounded by yourself and Laura and Dan and Marcus and Mina. And it's like, if I were at home today, I would be watching this show, but instead I'm here as part of it. So it was pretty cool. So this will be Jordan's first time actually walking onto the set Friday or onto ESPN radio or doing whatever it is for ESPN at the side of the draft. Is that correct, Jordan? 
Yes, it is. So, so, so we need to get some like walk-up music, like baseball players, you know, <laughs> play a song. What would be your song, Jordan? What would be your walk-up song? Probably be Inner Sandman, like I'm Mariana Rivera. There you go. Be, that can be the closing. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm the young guy of the group, so I got to earn my stripes. No, what I'm super excited. Adam, we met each other at the Combine. You were on the couch, um, probably waiting to break a story at the time. So <laughs> it looks like you were super busy. But uh, it's a blessing being here, coming from, you know, basically nothing. My background, working my way up, working my tail off. I'm just happy to be around a, a great group, group of guys and girls and colleagues and like you guys yourself, and it's just a great situation to be in. Matt, you got a walk-up song for this week in Vegas? I mean, I think that is like that is the walkout song. You got to go understand, man. Um, if I if Jordan if Jordan takes that one off, oh man, I, my son is on this uh, Foo Fighters kick right now, so I'd probably have to go with like something from the Foo Fighters. That's all we listen to in the car in the mornings right now. So, uh, you know, pick pick your favorite Foo Fighters song, and I'll go with that. Well. Matt Miller, Jordan Reed, I want to thank both you guys for taking time out of your busy schedules this week. It's your busiest week of the year. I would imagine I'm honored to be included in it. I wish both you guys much success this week in Las Vegas, in the seaport, and wherever your travels take you. I'm sorry I will not be there to enjoy it with you this year, but I promise you, next year, 2023 in Kansas City, the plan is to be there and looking forward to that tremendously. Good luck. To both of you guys this week. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, guys. It was awesome. Matt Miller, Jordan Reed, two outstanding young draft analysts who will be contributing to ESPN's coverage all week long on all ESPN platforms. Excited to hear their insights this week. And as I mentioned to them, I will not be there for the first time in 32 years. Will not be covering this draft on a regular basis as my son's graduation from college will be Thursday night from 6 to 8 Eastern is the actual ceremony. And then another ceremony Saturday morning at the Big House in Michigan at 10 a.m. So Michigan managed to time up the times of the graduation to perfectly coincide with the first round of the draft and the last few rounds of the NFL draft. Not ideal, but there is no place else I'd rather be this week and then at Michigan celebrating my son on this Big milestone for him. Graduation is a huge time in his life and and honored to be there to salute him with him. But that doesn't mean I won't miss being at the draft. Of course, we will. And since it was announced that I won't be there to be there for my son, got an unsolicited text last Tuesday, 1037 a.m. It just popped into my cell phone from a great Michigan man himself a Hall of Fame offensive lineman, Dan Dierdorf, and he texted me, and I read, Adam, in 2008, my wife and I watched our daughter graduate from Michigan. It was one of the best days of our life and a dream come true. Enjoy, go blue, Dan Dierdorf. And it warmed my heart to get that unsolicited text from a great man who basically has been through this experience and watched a child graduate from Michigan as we will get the privilege of doing this weekend. So we're very excited about that. And I want to thank Dan Deirdre for the support uh, that he sent our way this past week. There will be some news after the draft. Of course, keep in mind that May 3rd is the day that teams have to make their mind up on the fifth year options of their quarterbacks. And there may not be a more notable fifth year option than that of Giants quarterback, Daniel Jones, his fifth year option will be $22.38 million. We've gone and looked at this. 
$22.38 million. So the Giants are going to have to decide here in the coming days whether or not to pick up that option. Now, they could decide not to pick it up. And then if Daniel Jones plays really well this year, which is what the team would hope and want, they could always just franchise him after the year at $32 million. So that, that'll be a big decision that the Giants and other teams have to make. The Arizona Cardinals have a similar decision to make on Kyler Murray. And while it would seem like it's a no-brainer, to pick up the fifth-year option on him, which it would be, you want to keep him. The fifth-year option is $29.7 million, whereas the franchise number is 32. So maybe if you didn't pick it up and you weren't locked into the guaranteed salary, you could always franchise him too. So there's a little bit of a decision there, even though I would think it would be a no-brainer that they would pick up the fifth-year option on Kyler Murray. All right. Before I let you go, I want to mention the first draft podcast with ESPN experts, Mel Kuyper Jr., Tom McShay, and Field Yates. With the draft this week, these guys are keeping tabs on the latest in the draft news twice a week, every Monday and Thursday. And check out Monday's show on YouTube as well. I want to thank Matt Miller, Jordan Reed, ESPN draft analysts for taking time out of their schedule to join us this week. I want to thank my producers, Christina Buswell, Sarah Abbott for putting together this podcast. I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week when we're planning to continue our annual tradition of having on Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay to recap the upcoming draft and to look ahead to the 2023 draft, as well as what they may do during their downtime during the summer. I hope everybody enjoys the draft in what is one of the best weeks of the year. Enjoy it Thursday night, Friday, Saturday. We'll be back in this spot next week. And until then, be well and stay safe.